We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, the third in our edition, looking at local election winners, I'm delighted to be joined by Scott Cunler, the recently elected Green Party councillor for Cliviger with Worthshawn on uh, Burnley Council. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thank you, Will. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, uh, what made you decide uh, to stand as the Green Party's candidate at the most recent set of local elections? Well, fortunately in Burnley, we have a very dedicated uh, green team that's mm-hmm. and it's dedicated to winning elections. Uh, not all Greens are dedicated to winning elections. Uh, they have other causes and other means and priorities, but in Burnley, we're definitely dedicated to winning elections and to winning more seats on the council. So that was that's what struck to me where to put my energies. It was very clear that uh, we need more Greens in the room, and mm-hmm. Burnley was doing that, which was fantastic to have that in my own backyard. Yeah. Was there something in particular that um, drew you uh, towards the Green Party that made you believe that the Green Party were the right party to be represented at a, at a local level? The only party not greenwashing. I, you know, I've been I've been green sort of pretty much all my adult life and mm. worked on a few environmental projects and uh, worked, you know, in Indonesia for 10 years in East Timor and worked for different UN bodies and things. So... Um, to see the Green Party back home uh, actually get some momentum um, and just have really clear thought-out policies, not just on the planet, but on people and and the combination of the intersectional between people and planet as well. Um, So, yeah, it was now's the time. It's now or never, isn't it, to Mm. to sort of uh, make a really good contribution to the future of the planet and... uh, and all of those people that live on it. So, uh, yeah, it was always clear in my eyes. I've never, I've never thought about joining any other party really since mm. since I became involved in politics when I was a student. Um, now, one of the things that has been particularly noticeable in this set of elections is how well uh, the Green Party has done uh, across the country in comparison to um, the Labour Party, uh, for example. Why do you think that there have been, at this most recent set of local elections, more voters switching from Labour to the Green Party? Clearly disenfranchised. <laughs> Clearly different, disenfranchised by traditional parties. Uh, in, you know, in, in Burnley, I took a long-standing Tory seat. I think the only other party that's ever won a seat in my ward is, uh, is the BNP. Mm. So... Uh, we're not just taking off off Labour. We've taken four seats off Labour and one off the Conservatives now in in a rural ward. So uh, clearly, disenfranchisement with uh, with local parties and a lot of swing voters out there, you know, that, that are looking for a different option and uh, are just fed up with the tradition and uh, and British politics in general. Do you think that part of the reason that the Greens have seen this increase in support is not just because of disenfranchisement, but because of the whole coronavirus situation, um, the, the state of the environment and the way in which um, the planet is run has perhaps been um, brought home to more people. And maybe some of those people have decided, well, vote for the Green Party. Yeah, I think people have got the thinking caps on. We've always had the thinking caps on, but, you know, uh, it's always a difference, isn't it, between people who sort of vote 
in their own interest or vote for the other interest. But there's definitely a merger between that now where they're seeing that their future and their kids' and grandchildren's future is definitely being impacted by the climate and, uh, and everything that needs mitigating from from that heating of the planet. So, yeah, it's kind of mainstream now, isn't it, really? I mean, it's not like <laughs> it's not like it's uh, every every party in this local election was protecting green space or, you know, it was out front of their leaflets, whether they were in our area at least, whether they were Lib Dems or Tories or, or Green, they're all putting out front or Labour as well. But, um, yeah, I think people are going, well, actually, these guys have been consistent with this for for decades um, and, and maybe now it's their time. So um, if that's what their persuasion is to think, hey, hey, listen, this this planet emergency, this climate and ecological emergency is, is true and we're seeing it now, you know, it's, it's well in the mainstream, isn't it? You know, mm. sort of Attenborough, uh, God bless him, has not sort of been on it for years and he's just finally got on it. So it's kind of, it's even people like that who haven't really been outspoken even though they, they've had the finger on the pulse uh, so that's really into mainstream consciousness now. So people are thinking about it, and uh, that's good. Hmm. First step. Um, now that you've been um, elected uh, to the council, what are your uh, main aims in terms of uh, things that you want to uh, put forward to improve your particular ward, but also uh, things that you want uh, the council as a whole to do? Well, I think the first aim, main aim for us is to get more Greens elected. Uh, we we have five out of 45 seats on Burnley Council now, so, and we're in opposition to uh, a Labour and with them coalition. And um, so hold them to account, on definitely on climate change. We, uh, like many councils around the country, declared a climate emergency, um, which was obviously pushed by us. Um, but they don't seem to act on that, that all that much. So um, in, at the first meeting, even the sort of... Uh, you know, the plastic bottles are out on the table. And so actually holding them to account to actually um, get carbon literate, I think it'd be great to actually get council staff and council members and, and especially those on the exec to become carbon literate because mm. <laughs> I don't think they are actually carbon literate uh, as we stand. Uh, they've said they're going to have, the exec in Burnley Council said they're going to have climate change as a, mitigator, as a cross-cutting issue on all of the exec positions. Um, so, yes, We've got to hold the task on that. In the more medium term, hopefully we can change this into a better council system that we go away from exec to a more committee system. Uh, I think that would be a little bit better uh, mm. for, for opening up democracy on Burnley Council. Uh, do you think, I mean, you talked about um, carbon literacy there. Do you think that part of the problem simply is, is that people might be aware of, um, you know, like the polar ice caps melting, for example, but they aren't aware of some of the um, more uh, basic things that you can do to ensure that you're uh, cutting your far carbon footprint or indeed eradicating it completely. Do you think that that's something that in terms of education needs to be uh, put forward more? Yeah, for sure. And I think on a local council, it's not too difficult because the powers are, are quite restricted on a local council. So let's take uh, planning going Burnley's uh, Development Control Committee um, that's in charge of planning, overseeing planning on new builds. And so take that literacy and put it towards planning. And, and what does that what does that mean? Uh, and so breaking down 
the uh, carbon content of new builds and then breaking down a new build into the carbon content of plasterboard, which most people know has got probably more carbon in it than actually the bricks and mortar. Mm. Um, but breaking all that down, I mean, everyone's got bricks and mortar around them. Everyone's putting plasterboard in the house, but they don't really know that... Uh, how big a piece of the pie all that is. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's stuff that people can relate to because it's right in front of them. They live in the house. Um, so I'm sure the councillors can relate to that. I mean, it's not rocket science, really. Mm. Uh, and you don't have to understand the science of it. You just have to understand the numbers and go, hey, if we want to mitigate uh, and be a council that's pushing ahead to mitigate, um, you know, sort of, or get to carbon zero, then this is one way of doing it. So you, you take that across licensing as well and, uh, and the other committees and because uh, the powers are quite restricted, aren't they? So like mm. it, it's quite a narrow carbon literacy that would need to be put onto that, that narrow set of powers. Uh, hopefully, yeah, councils will, local councils will have more powers in the future. But mm. uh, yeah, that's why we need to get more Greens in the room. We're going to take a short break now to listen to the Politics of Sound podcasts episode with Edwina Curry. When we get back, myself and Scott will continue to discuss what he thinks that the Green Party can do in local government, the issue of housing, whether the Chesham and Amersham by-election was in part one for the Liberal Democrats because of their uh, seeming uh, promise to build fewer houses uh, in the constituency, in part of the constituency, the implications of HS2, HS3, and much more. We'll be back very shortly. Do you want to see your politicians from a different angle? It's time for the Politics of Sound podcast. I believe that people's record collections can reveal a lot about them, and so every month I invite politicians and political figures to reveal their three all-time favourite albums, and in exchange, I want to know all about them and their lives, what they think, and why they think it. Joining me in the record shop this month is the former junior health minister, author, and media personality, Edwina Curry. So why not join me, Ian Carnegie, my guests, and the house band on the Politics of Sound podcast, out now on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, now, you mentioned um, planning there, and planning, of course, has been one of the uh, major issues in the most recent uh, by-election at Cheshire and Amersham, where the Lib Dems uh, beat the Conservatives, partly, it seemed, uh, by uh, advocating perhaps for uh, less uh, house building and, and, and being opposed uh, to HS2. Is um, house building and uh, planning regulations something that you really want to focus on to ensure that houses, when they are built, are, you know, creating more uh, pollution in the environment and are doing so in a way that doesn't uh, damage uh, the uh, natural environment of local areas? Yeah, for sure. You know, like on my ticket, I, I stood on the ticket of protecting green spaces. I'm in a rural area and there's obviously, well, uh, not obviously to you guys, but uh, mm. there's, there's an awful lot of new housing slated on the... Um, Local plan in, in Burnley for, for in this rural area. So it's, you can link that back to a Tory policy um, of building more middle-class houses everywhere. And um, yeah, so it's it's definitely something that's got to be taken seriously. And uh, there's an, when you've got an awful lot of um, older houses that need retrofitting and need to become energy efficient and the whole push towards electric um, in housing, not just in cars, then there's definitely an awful lot uh, 
of education that needs to go into that planning policy. Uh, and if there is to be a new planning policy, which we're told there will be, um, then it definitely needs to uh, incorporate the, uh, the recommendations of the climate sort of uh, committee. And it also needs to be very democratic and allow people mm. to actually voice their opinions as well, which is the, the other threat that might be taken away um, if we are to believe what Boris said in his Queen speech. <laughs> Do you think, though, that there's um, a concern, given that there is uh, a housing crisis, that some people uh, may say, you know, well, why isn't it that you aren't just um, building more uh, houses to alleviate the housing crisis and to get more people uh, on the uh, housing ladder? Isn't it a detriment to society uh, uh, large that perhaps you're uh, placing emphasis more on um, particular rural areas rather than uh, people who need homes and would be able to uh, generate uh, something for the local uh, economy. I mean, what would you say to someone who, who makes that kind of argument? Yeah, I think as a Green, we'll, we'd never say that we're against development. We're, we're in favour of appropriate appropriate development in the right places at the right time. And for sure, definitely, if there is a housing shortage um, in in each area per area. I mean, we've got a dwindling population in Burnley going down slowly. So, um, and do we want to attract more people? Do we want to look after the people that are currently here or strike that balance right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so you look at the, you know, the brown side areas um, and how much sort of empty space there is and how much land is kind of locked up and not being developed on. So that's where the focus should be and actually, you know, just putting putting a bit more effort in, you know, for the council mm. to put a bit more effort in to solve these tricky land issues and problems uh, in the brown, brown areas so that you can build on those rather than, it's just an easy, it's just an easy, easy option, isn't it? To, oh, mm. there's a greenfield, the farm, farm is in decline, he wants to get a couple of million for his, for his plot of land, win-win for them, it's easy, easy for the council, uh, easy for the farmer who wants out a bit and, and hey-ho, there you go and sort of local residents push aside and, to, you know, if we, do we want to keep it rural? Do we want to protect those green spaces, biodiversity, everything that goes with it uh, that everyone enjoys? You know, let's let's start talking about um, physical and mental fitness as well, and and, and the, the the rural, rural uh, areas playing all of that. So you know, uh, we've got a pandemic and we've got a, a mental health pandemic and all these things. So protecting those green areas is massively important uh, for people going forward, especially when you've got brown areas that can't be built on. Hmm. Um, now, uh, one of the uh, other things that has attracted a great deal of um, consternation debate has been uh, HS2 and the extension uh, to HS2, uh, the proposed extension to HS2, the Northern Powerhouse uh, Rail, also known as HS3, has um, come under uh, suggestions uh, by the potentially by the Prime Minister and members of the government that uh, HS3 uh, might not be built, uh, that because because of the uh, anger over HS2 in, in certain quarters, that HS3 uh, may not be uh, created. Do you think that if HS3 isn't created, that will uh, make a negative impact on the economy of the north of England? Or do you think that it would be better not to go ahead with HS3? Good question. I, I mean, maybe a bit above my pay grade or that, really, <laughs> in, the sense of, in the sense of... You know, when I'm looking at my local economy and I'm looking at my connectionness um, 
and this is an open debate within the Green Party. Yeah, there's people that are pro and against, and uh, have got good grounded reasons on both sides. So I'm quite undecided, to to be honest. But when I'm looking at my local economy and the interconnectedness for on local transport, um, you know, from smaller towns like ours into bigger cities or bigger suburb, uh, bigger urban areas, um, I think that needs to be you know, highly part of this debate uh, and, and not just like, how do we connect the big cities together? You know, I'm quite happy that I can jump on a train and go from Manchester to London uh, in two and a half hours. I, I don't really see the need to, to do it in two. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd love for there to be a direct train from Burnley to Manchester. There isn't one. Uh, well, it goes through the Tomden loop, but it's it's kind of, it's quicker to get the bus. Uh, so, Bringing in all of those things, the connectivity between small towns, because this is this is where the red wall is, or the crumbling red wall. This is where the voters are. You know, it's not just Manchester uh, or Leeds; it's the smaller towns that have just been left by the wayside. Um, mm. So, where's our connectivity to all of this? Um, so, HS two, HS three, HS four. Like, what's it going to give to us? Mm. Really, you know. Yeah. Uh, get me a better, better public transport system from Burnley to, to Leeds and Burnley to Manchester and uh, and all those places, uh, or better bike path. Uh, mm. Chicken dinner for me, that would be. <laughs> now, one of the other um, issues that has um, come up of late is um, putting more effort into improving uh, greener energy and the accessibility to uh, greener energy and also making sure that there are uh, more uh, green jobs. Is there a particular part of the green energy sector that you would like to see uh, potentially more emphasis put on and, and more work done into recruiting people into that particular sector? And do you think that there is a particular uh, green energy sector that um, might be able to provide uh, jobs and work in Burnley? We always got a tradition of engineering. Uh, further back, it's got a tradition of uh, cotton and uh, you know, and weaving, and mm. uh, I think we can forget about coal now, even though we've got a tradition in coal in the past. Mm. Uh, but yeah, for sure. So I think there's there's a, there's a highly skilled labour force uh, that currently does work in engineering, whether that's automobile or aerospace um, in the various factories in and around. And the Barnoldswick well, uh, Rolls Royce factory's taken quite a bit of news recently potential calls down it's eventually staying open unions have lobbied hard so you've got a very good sort of engineering base in Burnley so I mean we were just hearing yesterday potentially an opening of a battery factory in Sunderland fantastic news for those people up in the northeast and, and you know we've got uh, Toyota subsidiary in Burnley uh, we're waiting to hear what their sort of latest uh, uh, movies towards fully electric cars and, and or, or hydrogen or whatever they're going to be putting forward and how that might affect us. Uh, so I just, I just, I mean, I, I'm laughing to myself, but I just wonder where the, where's the council at with this? You know, where's the exec at with this, you know, and how far proactive are they being in attracting these green industries and be like one trillion, one trillion quid is the uh, automobile industry, green automobile industry globally worth going forward. All we need to get is a few components of that and we're winning, you know, and we've mm. got the base, we've got the factories, we've got the workers. Um, so who's, who's going out there doing the legwork for Burnley and, and other towns of Burnley's ilk? Um, to actually bring in those components to be part of that supply chain. And you can look at the supply chain and go, okay, uh, there's less components in an electric car than there was in a diesel car or um, in a gas car. But you kind of, you kind of like, 
you've got to take that opportunity. We've got a massive opportunity now, which is why I think a lot of people are also working up to waking up to the green sort of uh, possibility because they, they're seeing that hey, this is not just uh, an inconvenient truth that mm. public is going to be inconvenienced with. It's actually a massive opportunity to, to for us to build up um, industries whatever that might be, you know, uh, around that and harness that. But you've got to have people proactive and working to attract it into your town. And the education facilities have got to mirror that potential. Mm. Um, going back to the um, Green Party in general, what do you think is the future of the Green Party? And where do you see it going in the future in terms of electoral success? Good question. I mean, it's uh, obviously you can't talk about the future of... Green Party in Britain without talking about a PR or a change to the electoral mm. system and, and how much that would, would uh, be be a fairer system uh, for more than two parties just throwing, throwing egg and chips at each other across the, the aisle, you know. Uh, so that's we're highly dependent on that and that needs to be strategised quite well, you know, and we're coming up to new elections and how's that going to work? And, uh, you know, uh, would it be a, a Green that would have more chance of beating a Tory in Burnley, or would it would it be a Labour candidate? And who's who's the best candidate? And would they come come in with us if they recognise that the Greens have got a better candidate than, than Labour? So all these coalition buildings and things. Uh, let's talk, start talking. I think the, the good thing about the Green Party is that we do talk to people as doors are always open. And I think we were the first ones to to reach out to Labour and send a letter straight away saying doors doors open. You know, when you're building your coalition because you don't have a majority on Burnley Council. Come on in, talk to us. They didn't do this time, but maybe in the future they will do. Um, so I think, yes, cooperation and collaboration for the Greens going forward is a massive part of our strategy in, in getting us more seats in Westminster, which I think is what, you know, we've, we've shown we're doing well in councils and improving all the time. Our membership's growing. I think we're almost at 50K now. So, um, you know, that's all boding well. But how do we crack into Westminster? That's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. Is there a particular um, uh, set of policies or particular ideas that you'd like to see in the in the next Green Party uh, general election manifesto? Or are you just happy to see uh, what's presented and what is part of the uh, manifesto when it's published at the next election? As green as green can be, I think, you know, it's uh, it's. Obviously, there's culture wars going on. There's a lot of other issues that are clouding politics, causing confusion, causing division. Um, and we've got to be able to answer those questions, but we've also got to be able to uh, keep focusing, focusing on that green opportunity that's out there, um, focusing on, on the green economy and, and the importance of the next 10 years. Uh, because I think a lot of Greens don't really want to be in politics. It's like, it's now or never, isn't it, really? So I don't want to be a politician. I'll be truthful with you. But... There's no choice now, is there really? You know, like it's come to this. We're, we've we've seen how uh, when you've got a pandemic or an emergency crisis in your face and people are dropping like flies from it, how people react and rally around and move forward. Mm. If you're looking at the, the uh, climate emergency and the, and the ecological emergency in the, in the same breath as you have done the COVID pandemic, then it's time for action. Uh, and we all know, you know, we've, we've pretty much got 10 years to get this, get this ship sailing in the right way. Otherwise, we failed, haven't we? Um, Absolutely. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great to speak to you, Scott, and I have one uh, final question. We've discussed uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic um, 
somewhat. We've talked about it in a little bit uh, of great uh, detail, uh, but things appear at the moment to be uh, getting better with the rollout of the vaccination uh, programme and, and hopefully uh, in the near future things will be back to a, a state of uh, normal life as it was pre-pandemic. So uh, what one thing uh, that you haven't been able to do uh, because of the pandemic are you most looking forward to being able to do again when things are back to normal? Well personally? Yeah. Uh, I think travel always opens your mind, uh, but I'm also very, uh, I've just fallen in love so much with my hometown and the nature and the beauty around here. I don't really see much of a reason to leave at the moment. Mm. I think it, it's made me look uh, maybe more inwardly, but just, uh, I mean, my dad's got Alzheimer's and uh, just being able to get out and do a few more things with him and stuff and, and uh, you know, and enjoy enjoy sort of life without having to tell him to put his mask on. And mm. that, that's just that's priceless, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. And, and meet meet more of my colleagues in the green green party and the green movement, and uh, but not be talking on on Zoom and uh, all the time, and be able to just have a good group hug. Mm. Yeah, I, I I'm sure uh, myself and all the people listening will hope that you'll be able to do that uh, soon, Scott. Uh, for people listening who. Uh, might want to uh, follow what you're doing in uh, Burnley at the moment or, or get in touch. Uh, what can they do to, to, to find you online? Where can they get in uh, touch with you and uh, uh, follow what you're, you're doing as a, as a Green Councillor? I have quite a long-winded Facebook page, but if you want to get in touch with me, uh, on Twitter, it's at S-E-K-O-T-T. Probably tweet more about football than I do green politics, but <laughs> there you go, you can DM me and... Uh, and there we go. I, I don't do too much on on Twitter politics wise, but uh, yeah, try to get my hands dirty down on the ground a bit more. But yeah, at sekott, um, they can reach me on Twitter on there or on uh, what's it called Instagram as well. Uh, yeah. My DMs are open, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Scott. Thanks, Will. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.